Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Intersectionality. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. In this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. When we consider and learn from the wisdom gained in the lived experiences of women of color, our view of God's kingdom is stretched, contextualized, enriched, and expanded. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. Today, we are so excited to welcome to our broadcast, Reverend Dr. Christy Woodbury Moore, who is a licensed and ordained minister in the Baptist Church, and she currently serves as the Assistant Professor of Spiritual Formation and the Director of Supervised Ministry at Memphis Theological Seminary. She attended Tuskegee University, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering, and she also holds an MBA from the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management. Dr. Moore was the Class 2012 Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology Valedictorian at Virginia Union University, where she received a Master of Divinity degree, and she also holds a Doctorate of Ministry de degree from Virginia University, which focuses on the unique experiences of African-American women. Dr. Moore is committed to the healing of the Black community through empowering Black women to live out loud. Titled, Give Me My Stuff, A Defense of Black Womanhood, Dr. Moore's dissertation is a womanist exploration of the use of non-conventional sources in connecting with the lived experiences of Black women. Dr. Moore shared her life with her husband, Reverend Dr. Michael Moore, who is the senior pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and their son, Michael Moore II. Please help me in welcoming Dr. Christy Woodbury Moore. Dr. Moore, how are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. We are excited to have you here. So um, help our, our uh, audience get to know just a little bit about yourself. I think you're a native of... Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi, Mississippi. Uh -huh. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. Let's see. I was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm an only child. <clears throat> reared in the Baptist church. Uh -huh. uh, once I got my engineering degrees, um, then I went to Minnesota, lived there for almost seven years. Yes, a Mississippi girl. Wow, living in, in Minnesota. All Minnesota. Lord On the way mercy. there, my mom was riding with me there. And she said, what is that white stuff <laughs> on the side of the road? I said, Ma, I think that's snow. <laughs> she said, are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, I think I'm all right. <laughs> so for seven years, I lived in um, Minnesota until my call to ministry accosted me. Well, and let me say how we say in the South, bless your whole soul. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. 
so I don't know. You 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 ran down my resume, but I have to also ground you in the fact that I am a black woman. Uh-huh. Um, I am a wife to a pastor. So in the black church tradition, I am a first lady. Okay. Okay. Um, I am a mother of a now seven year old. That's right. Pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> Um, I am a daughter, a friend, a confidant, a professor, um, a sister-in-law, a sister-in-love, all of these, all of these hats that uh, we wear (laughs) all the time. So yeah, I am all these things and probably more. (laughs) Well, you you said something about that you had, you know, you, your bachelor's in chemical, was in chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. So help us understand how you transitioned from that space into where we find you today as an ordained Oh, wow, you want me to tell people the truth. Okay, here we go. (laughs) We want the whole story. Okay. That's right. Okay, here we go. Um, I wanted to be an engineer when I was in high school. I absolutely wanted to do it. Had no idea where I was going to go. And I learned about Tuskegee University and the fact that they um, have great experience and a great reputation in, in pushing out African-American engineers. Mm-hmm. So I went there for a, a summer program, fell in love with it and said, this is where I want to go to get my engineering degree. I did that. I interned, I co-opted, I did all the things you're supposed to do to get the the experience you needed to go work in corporate America, moved to Minnesota to work for 3M um, and to work for Medtronic. So I worked as an engineer thinking I was going all the way up this corporate. I had plans. I had real plans, people. (laughs) And I want to say it was while I was at Tuskegee, I felt the call a call to ministry, but I could not articulate it. I thought it was a call to counseling. Um, I did a lot of that when I was in high school. I, you know, was a peer counselor, the kinds of things you kind of do with with your classmates and things of that sort. But when I was at Tuskegee, I was, it was a Sunday. I was at home, not at church. Don't judge me. Um, And I felt the call to ministry, but I figured God was making a mistake. So I'm just going to give God some time to kind of work through that. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna let you work through this, Lord. Cause you know, we're on this engineering track. So we don't, we don't wanna mess that up. <laughs> I got to Minnesota, was working, found a church while I was there. The pastor of the church was from Jackson, Mississippi. Imagine that. Wow, okay. Now, when I lived in Jackson, I had no models, no mentors, no visible representation of women in ministry, let alone Black women in ministry. Um, When I saw this pastor who had women in the pulpit who were ministers, I immediately joined the church. I was not thinking about this call, though. I just said, oh, it's so good to see women in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I joined the church. I had a lunch meeting with the pastor, only for him to say to me, so you want to share with me that call you have on your life? Oh, my goodness. And I said, I don't want to have lunch with you ever again. We're done. <laughs> and the running begin. <laughs> I shared the call and thus began this road from engineering to theological study. <laughs> wow. I love it. God is God is tricky. I can tell God you God is funny. Yeah. <laughs> He'll catch us when you be like, whoa. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. I I I always want our listeners to be able to hear um, because part of understanding 
uh, or what we try to raise here at CBE, of course, is that um, God gives us um, independent of our gender. Mm -hmm. And um, but for women, particularly uh, as more and more coming into ministry, our experiences as we enter into this world uh, of vocational ministry is often very different than our male counterparts because uh, like you said, many of us lack the, the role models um, or the, you know, the, the, the familiar support to move forward. And so sometimes the journey can be a little bit dicey or um, it's not as clear. It's not as clear. Yeah. And lonely, yes, absolutely, and lonely. Um, so I wanted to talk to you, really, though, I, I was intrigued by your your work, your research that you did for your doctorate and your dissertation that you put together titled Give Me My Stuff in Defense of Black Womanhood. Kind of, can you explain what led to that topic? Oh, absolutely. Um, so while I was getting my D-man, of course, a part of the process, of course, to have a project, a practical work um, that you can do with a church or with a community organization. Um, and I was actually at a, an event with a friend and I was trying to figure out, you know, I wanted to do work around Black women, but I was really trying to dig into um, deeper soul work with Black women. I was at um, some event and a woman stood up and she read the poem somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff. As she was reading the poem, I was saying to myself, this is it. I want to use this poem as a way to dig into the experiences of Black women. Now, for those who may not know this, Notazoki Shange, this is a part of her for Colored Girls work. Mm-hmm. So it's a courier poem. Um, and so this was one of the poems within that work somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff, which really the thesis of the poem is that um, the woman is reflecting on experiences in her own life where tangible and the intangible was almost taken away. Gotcha. And at the end of the poem, she comes to this resolve that you can't take my stuff. I have to be, I have to give it away. And so she is reclaiming her stuff. So in my title, Give Me My Stuff, I am actually talking about all of the stuff that women and particularly black women oftentimes are that are taken away from them or we have allowed to be taken away from us and so i'm saying we need to get that back and so in defense of black womanhood is saying okay as a black woman i'm about to use my voice and everything else i can Mm -hmm. so that the things that belong to me remain with me okay so can you uh dive into that a little bit more so what were some of the things that you kind of raise up in your work. As so one of the things we talked about is um, our narratives, the stories that we tell mm-hmm. ourselves, um, the stories of our lives, um, some of the insecurities that we have. And so one of the exercises we did uh, was really kind of taking a look at what are some of the things you can say that has been taken from you or has been threatened to be taken from you. And many of the women said, my time, mm-hmm time with myself, um, my own voice, my ability to make my own decisions, um, my integrity sometimes. And so when we dug and we learned that sometimes family takes our time, oh, because you are the daughter, you're supposed to write this, this understood obligation that you have to say yes to all of these requests. And so instead of being able to rest, instead of being able to have self-care, we find ourselves giving to our families because 
we don't have that boundary because we haven't been taught that. So it's really helping us to rewrite our narratives. One of the women in the group said, I've never taken an hour on a Saturday for me before in my life. Now she's in her fifties. Wow. She said from here on out, I'm going to take this same hour, even if we never meet again, so that I can spend some time with me. You have helped me to put me back on the list. Now that is powerful for a woman who has been living for 50 years and has never taken one hour of one day just to think about herself. Amazing. Amazing. So in doing this, even as you, um, I mean, I know that we are, your work was really about centering the lives of women of color, but this sounds like uh, a message that can even be universalized on, on some levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, while I am a black woman that comes from a black woman's context. And so I can speak of women that look like me. Um, I can also speak in terms of the fact that um, in, in a lot of our society, we have been socialized to consider others, not just black women, but women in general have been socialized to care for and nurture others, but not necessarily to care for and nurture ourselves. And to be quite honest, when we care for and nurture ourselves, we're better for others. Right. We're not Absolutely. giving them the scraps and the residue because we're all, we're empty, but we're full and we're able to give people quality time and quality um, sharing and things of that sort. So yeah, message really is universal, um, mm-hmm. but my bias is clear. Right. Because I've seen my own mother and my aunts and grandmothers and others in my family who struggle and feel guilty when they think of themselves. And so my hope is that we might be freed up and and I might give them permission um, to think more about themselves. And so, and then help me understand also how a womanist perspective helps inform that, even as we're understanding who God is. How how does that uh, help inform um, how women can navigate differently in these spaces? Well, one thing I think we have to be clear that um, being a womanist or a womanist perspective is not anti-men, but it is centering of women. Um, And it's also helping us to um, bring knowledge sharing to men and and others in the community. So I want to make sure that it's not an anti-man, but it really is about the wholeness of the community. Um, The other thing that I think is very important is that um, from a womanist perspective, the goal is really to debunk unmask and disentangle, these are terms from Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, to debunk, unmask and disentangle um, the ways in which we have been socialized to understand things. And so as a black woman that's looking at a biblical text or looking at a book, my perspective and understanding will always be different because it's contextual. It is from my own experience, my own traumas, my own securities and insecurities and all the stuff I bring with me into Mm -hmm. the room, right? Mm -hmm. And so how I might see the sun may be very different than how you might see the sun or someone else. But the the joy and the richness of it is my perspective on how I see the sun is different than yours. And you can at, at the very least acknowledge the fact that it's different. And you might say, wow, I like it 
I enjoy what you're saying about the sun. It's deeper. Um, it gives me a different understanding. It tingles, tingles my senses in a different way. It adds flavor and things of that sort. Something that maybe you didn't know or experience in and of yourself, which is mm-hmm. why it is so important um, to gather and garner other perspectives because it helps to season if you will, it helps to season the palette and to give you a different dimension of what we're taking a look at. So um, when I think a woman is, I'm thinking of freedom, the freedom to just say it and say it the way I, I want to say it, uh, the freedom to choose for myself, the freedom to say no, come on, the freedom to just be able to say no and not feel bad. Um, and even the freedom to say yes and not feel bad. Well, you know, and I, uh, Dr. Renita Weems was on the show early, and I remember uh, one of the things that she we talked about was the importance, you, you know, you are part of the academy of lifting these voices so that um, they're not just an alternative or a fringe perspective, mm-hmm. but they become, uh, that they can sit along and stand with what uh, we would typically consider the more normative views right. and theological perspectives that are put forth, uh, that, that they are valid and valuable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like what you said, that it is not uh, something that's ancillary, that, okay, I need to get this perspective so that I can appear as though I'm I'm diverse, but it is a part of the mainline way in which we look at the, the biblical text or any other situation that we're dealing with that it is it becomes the mainline methodology that we that we use along with all of the other methodologies that are available to yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely I thought that was great I thought that was great well let me also ask you because I know that you have uh, a love for justice as mm-hmm. well as social justice um how does your experience we're talking about this experience as a woman of color and a woman of god help you understand in practical terms what it means to serve a god who loves justice um i think that as we're thinking about this word justice um justice is more than um, equality fairness diversity Um, a seat at the table, because we can have all of these things and still miss justice completely, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that justice is about asking the hard questions. Um, Who is at the table? Who who made the table? (laughs) What what is supposed to be happening at at this table? Do we all have the same perspective of what's going on at this table? At the table. Uh, But even who's invisible? Who is made visible or invisible by this act that we are, or decision we are making or not making? And so for me, um, my experiences helped me to think about those who are not there. Yes. And yes. that's probably because as black women, we have not been there. We have been invisible to at least be in the background somewhere. So I'm always asking the question, um, based on the people that are here, who's not represented? Right. And who is represented? And what happens when we make this decision without the people that need to be at the table? What happens to them? Yeah. Right. And so um, practically, when I'm thinking in terms of that, um, it's really it's even even bigger than just advocating. But it's really asking the hard question, like, am I complicit? Am I complicit with the thing that's happening because I'm not saying anything about it? Because if I do, my privilege is going to be on the line. Right. So it's really also acknowledging I have privilege as a person that sits in the academy. 
that has that has been able to spend years in school while many of our people are still struggling to keep the lights on and the water running. I sit in a space of privilege at times and I need to acknowledge that. I do that even with my students. I let them know that, yes, I know you might be paying tuition and that may be a lot of money, but you're in a place of privilege if you can be in a classroom right. and sit and learn and think about a thing while others are really just out there trying to trying to keep the lights on yeah. seriously. And so right. I really do ask that, I ask myself that question, am I being complicit? And if I am, how do I, how do I make that change? I'll say this, um, when I go on vacations, you know, mm -hmm. to Jamaica and other spaces, mm -hmm. um, I'd really try hard to enjoy myself. But here's my challenge. So many times when we are on these vacations, so many um, people who are marginalized are the ones that's working at the hotel. They're right. working at the resort. They're working to get a tip so they can put our bags in the car, right? And, and, and so I oftentimes ask myself, am I like reinforcing this, this issue of, of inequity? Am I right. reinforcing that because I, I'm trying to take a break and how do I still relax, but at the same time recognize that even the spaces I may go to relax has some justice issues mm -hmm. and that, the, that I could in, in some, some way while I'm getting my rest, others are working overtime because of the issues that are happening in, in their space in the world. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I, I like that. I, what you're saying is that we, we really have to take time and reflect on, mm -hmm. like you said, the, the spaces where we're complicit in, in, in the continuation of yeah. the injustices that we see or the um, disenfranchisement of, of certain groups as we're going forward. And, you know, you raised a really good, when you talked about this idea of putting your own privilege at risk, that, that yeah. really kind of uh, is an interesting space because I find that sometimes I think women wrestle with that, that maybe that they've managed to come into a space and they, they personally feel like they have a certain level of, um, Mm, I don't acceptance. Um, yeah. They've they've achieved something where, for whatever reason, they're there. Other women may not. They may be the mm -hmm. only one, but they're there. And you know uh, what is uh, what is that book? When and where I enter the enter. whole race it enters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you're you come in there with that, but but there's still uh, you're carrying uh, that additional burden of how to bring. Others, others to Absolutely. the table. Yeah. As you're talking about justice, I think of the other question that I think is something that we probably don't consider. It is, where am I supposed to participate in God's justice? Am I the one that needs to be on the front lines? Mm. Is, that the, is that the role that God is inviting me to the front? Or is God inviting me in the back room where I'm behind the scenes making things happen? Where in this process am I supposed to participate? Am I supposed to be the one at the table? Or do I just talk to the people as they're walking in to the table? Like who am I and what position do I play in this? And sometimes we think that we're always supposed to be on the front lines with the picket signs, right? Well, there are some that are not. I remember reading in Cicely Tyson's Just As I Am, she wanted to go fight. She wanted to go and get into the movement. She had a conversation with one of her mentors and her mentor said, they are going to kill you and you will not be able to fight. They are, they are going to take you out. And she said to herself in that moment that I'm going to use this platform and entertainment to make that happen. 
Mm. I'm going to take the roles that build up and uplift and tell the truth about our people. Um, that's going to be my way of fighting for justice. And I thought when I read that, we do have to figure out where God is placing us right. and not feel as though the front lines is more valuable than being in the classroom, right? Right. right? And so knowing where you're supposed to be and being secure in that space and really, really flourishing in that space I think is, I think God would be pleased if we could find our fit and really Yes. And, and, you know, and that's one of the things that we, um, I often talk about in the cohort uh, that I lead, which is that God places us in particular context for a reason. Absolutely. And, uh, how, and, and, and he gives us, you know, we, we have our, our gifts that he wants us to use in that context. And so for us, it's really about, just like you said, how to use our gifts that God has given us in that context to bring about this shalom, this justice, this peace, um, this new creation, right. That, that God is uh, manifesting in the earth. And, and, and that's the part of us joining in when he's calling us to be the ambassadors and the ministers of reconciliation. That's how we have to figure that out in the spaces where we are planted and placed, how we can use those talents that he gives us. Yeah. Registration is now open for CBE's 2022 International Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Join us in person August 5th through 7th as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3.28 beside leaders from around the world like Craig and Medine Keener, Mimi Haddad, Michelle Sanchez, David Hart, Michelle Williams, Grace Alzubi, and many more. We want you to be a part of the conversation on women, race, and ethnicity. You can register now as an individual for $299. Group and membership discounts are also available. Visit CBE's website to see information on the event schedule, lodging, speakers, and sponsorship opportunities. We hope to see you in just a few weeks as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3.28. Register today at cbe.today forward slash 2022-CONF. Well, I... Uh... I, I also noticed uh, that you serve on the board of an organization called Equity for Women in the Church. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So the essence of Equity for Women in the Church is really to shed light on um, the inequity of women who are in leadership roles in the church and to help encourage the church to um, consider women, um, when it's for a pastor, a senior pastor, or someone who is in a leadership role. Oftentimes, um, well, most of the time, it is a male-dominated field, the leadership role in the church. And so our goal is really to help women to find their space and to break down the barriers and build male allyship um, so that there are more women that are represented as, as leaders. I want to come back to that allyship, but I, I wanted to ask you, why do you think that's important in a church? Why is it important? I, I know why I think it's important, but why do you think it's important that we have women as uh, in visible roles of leadership? Um, I think representation matters on every single level in every space. Um, I think that women bring a different perspective um, I think women are intelligent and smart. I mean, I'm a woman, so um, <laughs> women are intelligent and smart and 
Uh, to be quite honest, Black women have been saving lives since about five o'clock this morning and every morning. <laughs> so if they can save lives as early as five o'clock in the morning, they definitely can do some work of saving in the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we have to really get away from this idea of what we think the institutional church should look like and really pattern it after who Jesus is. You know, everybody wants to go back to what does the Bible say, right? Because we want to go to scripture. Well, if we pay attention to what Jesus did, everything Jesus did was to bring people to the table. And a lot of time it was to bring women to the table. Exactly. Um, it was not to cast them out or to push them down, but it was to listen to their voices. And the first woman who told of the fact that the stone has been rolled away and he is not there. Uh, she was a woman. Right. That was her first sermon. She preached it and people believed. And so, um, I think it's important um, for those for those reasons. Um, if we're going to live into this beloved community, I mean, if we're if we're going to do it, if we're going to do this thing called inclusiveness and 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 live into this community where all are welcome, then we can't just say that all are welcome and then leave some of us outside. Right. We have to we have to mean that all are welcome, and that means when it's time to do searches for pastors then we have to take out that line that says only males. We have to really do better, right. you know? And then I think on a, um, I don't even know if it's a personal note. I think sometimes our challenge with women in ministry is really a challenge we have with women, period. It has nothing to do with women being in ministry. It has to do with our perspective on where women belong, right. period, in society. Right. And that's, again, asking the hard question of justice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is my real problem with women? Right. Yeah. You have to to dig deep. But unfortunately, um, some of that comes from the theological teaching, traditional. Oh, absolutely. Of the place of the woman in the home or those kind of things. And so it just continues to permeate in all of these spaces uh, without really taking a look uh, at, at, at what's presented in the scriptures that tells us that uh, there is no male or female That's right. in the body, you That's know, right. that we all are free and, yeah. and we all are gifted and yeah. God, God expects us to lead and serve according to how we are gifted, not according to our gender. Yeah. So, uh, but you also mentioned the importance of allyship. We've Mm -hmm. hit on that a little bit once before in this uh, program, but talk about that a little bit more. That, that is very important in um, a a woman being able to uh, progress in her call uh, mm -hmm. as a leader uh, in, in any of spaces where there's academic or in the church, either way talk about that a little bit. Well, absolutely. I mean, we all need allies, those who are a part of our support system, um, those who advocate for us, and but not just for us, but um, for those like us. Um, and so allies are necessary. Um, I'm a part of this committee that's, a, that's with the Equity uh, for Women in the Church. And that committee is on um, understanding who our male allies are and, and asking them um, to give public support, to give a quote or something of that sort that lets others know that they support women in ministry. And one of the things we've learned, uh, even in our research, is there are three types of allies or or people. There are those who do not support, okay? We we know that. There are those who support, but they haven't said it publicly. 
Okay. And yes. then there are those who support and say it publicly. Right. And um, we have come to grips with that. That's real. And it is hard to change the minds of those who do not support. That is that is a longer road. Right. Uh, but there is some room, some promise in talking to the ones who do support but may not say so. Right. So then there's this question of privilege. What happens when I say right. it out loud? What happens to my group of, of guys that I go hang out with? What happens to my minister society that I'm part of? And can I come to that knowing that I support women and I'm saying it out loud? And so um, I know that there are those two types of allies, the ones who are going to say it out loud and those who do not. And so I'm we're working on that middle group. Okay. Working on that middle group, just trying to see what what is it that we need? Do they need to speak to more brothers? What needs to happen? Um, but I think you're right in terms of the need for allies because it's a male-dominated field. You're going to run into men who could be blocking, you know, your way into the space. Mm -hmm. And so you'll need others who are probably men as well in that space that can advocate for you um, and bring your name up when when the, right. the list is full of males, bring your name up and continue to bring your name up and not and they're not afraid that they'll lose their church or their um, status and, and things of that sort. So yeah, yeah that's that, that right so now. you know, and that's again, when we talk about those power dynamics and privilege, mm -hmm. and like you said, the willingness to share power, the willingness to use your power for those who are not in that same space to bring them into that space. Um, and so that's, that's a great work. That's great work. Well, I, um, we are getting close to the end of our time, but I, I, I wanted to ask you this. This is a question that we often pose to many of our guests. And um, particularly as you're talking about the narratives, we need to hear the stories of um, women of color and, and helping them find their own voice. One of the things that always interests me is as you kind of reflect on your own journey, your life, what, what would you say that it has taught you about who God is? and who God is calling us to be? Wow, that is a loaded, large question. <laughs> Shame on you. Um, as I'm thinking, I'm thinking that God is inclusive. Um, God is strategic. Um, God is a community builder. God is a partner. Um, and so God is calling us to be strategic. God is calling us to be inclusive. Right. Um, to be a community builder and to be a partner with God. Oftentimes we think that God's going to do this over here and I'll just sit, but God is inviting us to partner with God to make things happen. And so um, God is with, is a, there is a witness of God, that God is not um, this far away, but God is right here with us in the journey not yes. just watching us as a spectator with popcorn. No, God is with us and is strategic in moving out obstacles and moving things. And so we too um, need to be a with kind of person, not just with God, but with one another. Oh, that we have good. to really embody a witness. Um, and we, and in order to embody this witness, I was reading um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talks about in that book is that in order to understand the struggle of the people, you cannot be far away. Wait, Sometimes you have to move into the community with the people. Yes. And then you can't just start changing stuff because that's what you think that they should happen. 
Right. But you've got to understand why do the people do this the way that they do? There might be a rhyme and a reason to why this is the way they do it. And so once you understand that, then you can better understand what the people need versus you think you know what they need and you give them some stuff that they're not going to use. And so um, that's part of that withness, that it is more yeah. than just, um, here are some sandwiches and I can check my charity off for the week because I gave mm -hmm. you some sandwiches. But it's not just inviting them to your table, but you getting up from your table and going to theirs. Oh, I like people that. People don't want to get up from their, <laughs> they don't want to get up from their table. Wow. Right? And I'm thinking about this because, um, you know, we, we just had, uh, we've had some rough weekends and, and we've yeah. had, of course, the horrific uh, mass shooting again. And, and of course that is particularly tied to, you know, race and yeah. uh, extremism, but even um, beyond extremism, right? When we just talk about the issues on a daily basis of how we relate to one another or people who are other than we are. When you yeah. talk about this God who is inclusive yeah. and this God who is strategic and inviting, I think those are things that are guiding forces for us yeah. uh, in the church for how we begin to help our society move forward and help our yeah. society begin to bridge these gaps that uh, have been wedged. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to say I've been, it, it's been part of the yeah. nature of this country since its inception. So it's healing that, right. And mm -hmm. uh, overcoming that. But uh, that was, I, I think that's insightful that you're saying about this strategicness of God um, in, in the, even in the dissemination of the spirit, right? Is so that the greater works can occur. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this idea that is this inclusion, that, that is the view that we have of the future, that yeah. we all are coming together to worship at the feet of God. That's right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Chrissy Woodbury Moore, thank you so very much for being with us today. It has been a true delight and a true pleasure. I am uh, so uh, excited that you were our guest today. And to all of those uh, who joined us, thank you as well. I want to invite you all to stay tuned for new episodes that are coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. And in the meantime, you can go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our podcast team. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You should also go to our website on www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, our magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of, po of past conferences and events. And you should go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton, and I do mean a ton, of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. And I, along with all of the folks here at CBE, want to say again, thank you for making this uh, podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters, and thank you for listening.
Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.